Hey y'all, welcome to Chance by Chance, a resource for young creators learning to navigate the professional field. This is your host, Chance Gilliam speaking, and I'm bidding a fine farewell to the marvelous month of May. This one seemed to have just flown by. I hope it was equally exciting for you as it was for me, and that you too are looking forward to a jubilant June. June is one of my all-time favorite months. Today's episode, Levi Weinhagen is a creator at his core. He co-founded the All Ages Theater Company, Comedy Suitcase, alongside Joshua Scrimshaw in 2010. They strive to bridge the gap between imaginative theater for children and sophisticated comedy for adults, and with great success, I might add. His connections to other artists around the Twin Cities inspired him to create Pratt Falls of Parenting, a podcast covering the relationship between creativity and parenting. In 2010, it was named Best of the Cities by Minnesota Monthly Magazine and has since been rebranded as the Pratt Falls Podcast. Rebranding can always be tough, but I think Levi has handled it well. We cover that topic in the course of this conversation. Levi also hosts a new podcast, currently in its second season, called Not About You, covering topics of identity and social justice. His hope is that the series leads to more conversation and interaction and that the people who are hesitant or new to standing up in these struggles feel more comfortable showing up for change and asking questions. I've really been enjoying this show. I would highly, highly recommend checking out Not About You. It's on iTunes, or you can access it through Levi's site, which is leviweinhagen.com. Learning the willingness to facilitate difficult conversations is a huge part of our own conversation today. It's a muscle. It's something you have to build, just like anything else. Levi also works at the Minnesota Council on Foundations as a communications and media specialist. He works with writers and photographers to tell the story of how philanthropy affects the community at large. The president of MCF, Trista Harris, has also appeared on Chance by Chance. You can find that episode at chancebychance.com forward slash podcast and sign up for the CBC newsletter on our homepage. You can find Levi on Twitter, send him a message, give him a little shout out, at that Levi. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Levi Weinhagen. Levi, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you for having me over here. Wonderful spot, tucked away in the in the park in Minneapolis. Yeah. It's almost like a fairy tale, man. It is a little bit. Yeah, oh, and especially, especially this time of year, all the green springing up. Yeah, you can smell lilacs everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's kind of amazing. Yes. It's great. So why not be in a basement recording yeah. something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we started recording a second ago, we were talking about your involvement at uh, the Minnesota Council on Foundations. Yeah. And you work on the podcast called Fast Forward over there. Yeah. And, uh, and the president, Trista Harris, was on Chance by Chance a couple of months ago. So um, do you want to just give an overview of how you got involved with them and uh, what yeah. you work on? Yeah, well, so I'm yeah I'm on the communications team, sort mm-hmm. of technically. Uh, I try to remember what my title is, but I think it's like a um, communications and a digital specialist or something like that. So I edit. We have a like a full page glossy magazine. I'm the editor of the magazine, and then I produce. Uh, it depends. I try to do every two week every two weeks episode. It's mm. been a little uh, more spread out in the last couple months because I've been in the magazine zone so much. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've been there about two years, uh, and what MCF does, I mean, you covered this a little bit, I know, with Trista, but sort of works with foundations to, yeah. to do their job uh, in all the ways and understand their sector and, you know, tons of things around that. 
Um, and I was, you know, I'm, I've got my art stuff kind of always going, my various projects, but I was looking for a way to do some work that was connected to equity um, in a lot of the big buckets of equity, the sort of social justice space, but in a way that it wasn't just my voice being represented. Um, and MCF, since Trista took over, has a big focus on that. So they had a posting for some digital work and it involved writing, which I know well, and there's a podcast, and I was like, okay, that's stuff I know how to do, yeah. and I just sort of applied and started the interview process, and once I actually got to sit down and talk to Trista for like an hour, I was like, well, I would really like to work for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that much about, I've been in nonprofits my whole life, so I didn't know that much about philanthropy, so it's been really interesting to get to know the people who do the funding and like what that looks like, what are their challenges, and how do relationships work on yeah. that side. And then all your other projects, you've got comedy suitcase the yeah. mobile comedy suitcase yeah. you've got your podcast the pratt yeah. falls podcast yeah how do you keep this all in the air how do you keep the balls <laughs> juggling man that's a um, lot. uh that's a good question i mean in reality it's sort of like my version of a life hack hmm. so i'm actually a pretty bad procrastinator <laughs> and the only way i get anything done is if i have so many things going that when I'm procrastinating on something, it means I'm doing something else. Huh. So the really the one of the reasons I have so many projects is at least I'm being productive. Hmm. And so usually I'm doing something awesome, but I'm avoiding doing what is the most immediate and urgent <laughs> thing. And somehow that looks like I'm uh, just, wow, this guy can really focus. But it's really just like, no, I'm just avoiding the work by adding other work so that, that's the trick i played on my brain <laughs> yeah that is a heck of a hack though yeah. if it's if it's working to your advantage mostly i mean yeah. i'm tired yeah but, you know it's yeah fine. and uh and you've got your family on top of that i do have um, a family i have a the, daughter and a wife yeah, yeah the focus of pratt falls for a long time was specifically on parenting and yeah. uh i think last year you started to open that up to to other guests yeah yeah in 2016 uh yeah so it, it started five or six years ago is now um, well, I can give you a little context that uh, Comedy Suitcase is an all-ages theater company that I, I run. So I co-produce and co-write uh, with Joshua Scrimshaw, and we started that. Uh, we did a show in the Minnesota Fringe Festival in 2009 um, that really was, we were adult comedy makers, and we had children, and our kids couldn't see our shows. And we decided, <laughs> what if we made a show, but with our sensibilities? Hmm. Um, so essentially, that just means like no swear words, but all the same stuff otherwise. And we made the show, and it did really well. Like, we sold really well with one of the top shows at the festival, but also we heard from a bunch of parents who were like, hey, my kid laughed, but I was laughing too. This is great. And they're like, that was our goal. <laughs> so we just turned it into a theater company. And then after just a little while, I was like, this is, being a parent has really changed my work. Like, mm. I'm making shows for young people, and I wasn't before. That's big. And I started talking to other comedy friends who had children about that. And I was like, oh, I, these are really interesting conversations. I'm also obsessed with podcasts just as a listener. What if I recorded these? So I started recording conversations with comedy writers who had kids about that work. And that show was The Pratfalls of Parenting, mm -hmm. which was really about, like, how do you make this happen while you're failing to be a parent and failing to be an artist? You know, there's a lot of, like, <laughs> failure baked into it. Um, and I made that for a couple of years. And uh, things started, I mean, I loved the conversation. And sometimes it was heavily talking about parents, but it was often talking about just, like, Balancing your schedule, how you find mm. your creative voice, you know, like some of the stuff you cover, um, but also just sort of like the personal tension of like, I have ambition around my creativity. What does that have to do with my ego? Like, do I want to be famous or am yeah. I just trying to do cool stuff? You know, like those weird things that I think people who in all kinds of sectors deal with of like, how much of this is because I'm passionate about my work? And how much of this is because I need someone to tell me I'm a good person and mm. I need some validation? Um 
But if I had a thing happen after a couple of years of making that show weekly, uh, I would have listeners tell me, hey, um, I listen to your show, but I don't have any kids. Is that okay? And I was like, oh, this is a marketing problem because, mm. yeah, it's not mm. just for parents. Um, so I decided to, like, rename it, rebrand it a little bit. Yeah. And then open up, like, my guests don't all have to be parents was, like, the big change. Um, and then just kind of kept going with that. I've actually pulled back on doing as many episodes lately because I have a, a newer podcast that I've been rolling out, um, Not About You, that I've been investing more of my time into. So, And that is a, that is a weird thing I've come to now of that you know strategy I mentioned of I need to have multiple things going so mm. that I'll do something. Uh, I'm not good at quitting stuff. Like, I won't stop anything. I'll just keep adding more things. So I have started trying to figure out other things I can... I won't acknowledge that I'm like not doing them, but like mm. put a put on pause to make sure I have space to to give something more energy. Yeah, how did uh, how did the new podcast come into play? Not uh, about you. Yeah, not about you. And so that is uh, heavily about identity and heavily about uh, issues around justice and underrepresented voices. Hmm. Um, I think the the sort of premise I say in the top a lot of those episodes is. I'm a straight, white, cisgendered male. Like, I am privileged and the oppressor in pretty much all the buckets mm. <laughs> in America. Um, and I've been really engaged in social justice work in a number of ways in the last few years. I've learned a lot. I've been going to a lot of um, direct action things. But I've also been taking, like, trainings and um, trying to grow my own understanding of my own identity, learning about white privilege and white supremacy and sort of all the systems of oppression and injustice in America. And there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been an ongoing thing of like starting working at MCF was initially, okay, I want to work against some of these systems, but I don't want it to be about me. So I'll work for a company. And then after doing that for a while, I was like, but I am obsessed with social justice and I'm obsessed with podcasting. I really should do something in that space and not hide from my voice being involved. Like I, I think there was some, oh, guilt that I don't want to be using my voice to talk about these things. And then I realized, like, this is a creative skill that I have. Hmm. It's it's foolish of me not to use my tools to do the work I want to do. So that Not About You became that idea where I know how to record people. I know how to have conversations and ask people questions. Some people trust me enough to open up. So I reached out to some folks I know who can speak to certain lived experiences and recorded those. Um, and so now I'm in se- second season of Not About You and... Ten episodes each season, and each episode focuses on a specific person kind of talking about some component of their identity that is often misunderstood or um, uh, becomes a place where um, oppression happens and justice happens, uh, and that can, that covers a lot of buckets. Hmm. Um, so I started working on that last spring, and working on it then was just talking to a few people I trusted about the idea and going like, I have this idea. Is this a horrible idea? Like, am I going to offend everyone? Am I going to monster? Like, how do I do this right? Hmm. Um, and then I worked sort of on the summer of like how I would format it and how it would look and started recording conversations um, and then actually put out the first chunk of episodes in December of 2016. And now I'm rolling out the next set of episodes. Wow. Yeah. And what have you learned in terms of facilitating difficult conversations <laughs> you know because you said you had a, a pretty significant hesitation before even starting this let alone uh you know walking through it yeah so what have you learned in that space of, of facilitating some more uh, difficult conversations or covering difficult topics yeah well that's a great question i mean 
there's a couple of things. One is, so I come from this place of comedy first. You know, like I discovered improv when I was 18. And I don't mean like I discovered it like no, no one knew about it. And then I was like, <laughs> look, everyone. But for me, it was sort of revealed. It showed yeah. itself. And it's where I was like, oh, my brain makes sense now. Like the thing that I always want to make annoying comments wherever I am that I think are funny this place it makes sense it's comedy it's yeah exactly someone was like hey you're not annoying you're you should be on stage and I was like perfect um so um for me one thing i love about comedy is a way to talk about difficult things hmm. but in a way that we can laugh through the pain uh we can call out garbage nonsense hmm. uh more creatively than just saying like that's wrong and instead you can highlight the sort of absurdity of somebody doing something that's not okay um, so I love the tools of comedy. So one of the things about uncomfortable discussions for me is can you hold space for there to be true discomfort and humor at the same time? And that's one thing that I really sort of live and die in that space of can we find jokes while we're connecting around something really awful or really uncomfortable? Like someone is talking about a way that they've been profiled or their culture has been appropriated and I can give them a freedom enough where they can talk deeply about it and what it means, but they can also have a sense of humor about what it means. So that's one thing. And the other thing that I've learned doing the show is really you have to just sit in it and maybe sometimes acknowledge it. Hmm. So the best way to have an uncomfortable conversation is to go like, hey, this is really uncomfortable, but not in a please let's stop or I'm going to leave now, but more just like, hey, I feel this thing that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Let's not pretend it's not uncomfortable. Yeah. We should keep going, but like, let it be what it is. Like, mm. that is the other part of it. Um, and then for me also, like, my real growth is, well, why is that uncomfortable for me? Is some of my bias or some of my sort of mental programming from whatever, cultural growing up, mm. um, being questioned? And so am I suddenly like, if I'm being thrown into an existential crisis because someone's telling me about their own experience... I need to ask myself where that's coming from. And so I think that is a big part of those uncomfortable conversations and not going, getting defensive and getting attacking, but instead going like, weird, I have a stomachache right now. That might be telling me something about what I'm thinking and what I'm holding on to. And I think if you're open to those signals, then it's not going to get less uncomfortable, hmm. but it can be more of a positive outcome. So really, I think I've gotten more comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I no longer run away from that feeling. And instead, I'm like, oh, this means something is supposed to be, that's just something I need is happening right now. I can tell by how much I want to get out of here that I need to stay here and do this, um, which is just like... I don't know. It's almost like working out, you know, like yeah. at first when it hurts, you're like, this is wrong. Like my arms hurt. I should never do this again. But eventually you're like, oh, that's a sign that I'm getting some growth, like mm. some changes happening. So speaking of growth, yeah. have you noticed changes in your uh, confidence in like heading into those sorts of things or just day to day being in the world? <laughs> have you seen anything, anything change? I like that you use the word confidence because mm. like... I think part of my um, my comedic voice is a, a lack of confidence in myself, like huh. self-deprecating. Is that like, I don't know, I'm an idiot. Like that is sort of the end of most of the things I write that are humorous. Well, so, like, yeah, that stuff's funny. If I, yeah, that if I get sense. to the core. And so like I hesitate to say that I have confidence because like I'm not sure I do, but also it undercuts, undercuts the whole premise of who I am, mm. <laughs> that I would have confidence. Mm. Um, so I think it's um, more willingness. Like I... I um, I think I'm more open to... I mean, I'm from Minnesota. Like, I'm from the Midwest, hmm. deeply from the Midwest. Like, I want to avoid eye contact. 
I instinctually <laughs> don't want to like get too deep into a conversation with somebody. I, it's just social anxiety is like through the roof for me personally. Some of that I'm sure is like my brain chemistry, but I think some of that is just like Midwestern style. Like I'll help you push your car out of a ditch, but we don't need to talk about anything. Like, that's <laughs> that's like the neighborly thing, in, you know, where I'm from. Um, so. Maybe it's maybe it is a form of confidence, but it is now like if I'm helping someone push their car out of a ditch, I also want to know like, how are you? Like, your car is in a ditch right now, and I'm helping you. You know, who else would be help? Like, I want to know. I'm I'm going to get to some personal questions really fast, hmm. and my likelihood to do that has changed even from just. And I'm curious if this is for you too. Even from just doing my Pretfalls podcast, like just if you have a a real conversation with somebody like once a week hmm. about whatever it is, you just become more curious and more open to asking really personal questions. Yeah, I, I would definitely It's a muscle, with that. yeah? Yeah. Um, and so there is that. And then for me now, because I'm overtly talking to people about their identity and about race and about sexuality, and I've been doing a bunch of episodes this season around um, physical and mental disabilities, hmm. which is like stuff we never talk about. Hmm. Um it makes me realize how much I don't talk about that stuff. So now I'm like racing to find someone to talk to about it. But also aware of like, I don't want to be a burden to somebody who is like, oh, you're in a wheelchair. I'm going to ask you about it being in a wheelchair. Yeah. And instead, I want to treat them like a normal person. Yeah. Because they are a normal person who just is using a chair to get around. So it's a combination of things. Like it's made me more aware of people, but also it made me get quicker to not just seeing that part that we usually look at. Hmm. So maybe there's a confidence there that I'm less worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing, but also that I'm more comfortable knowing I'm for sure going to say the wrong thing and that's going to be okay too. <laughs> and, and more curious at the same time. Yeah, I'd rather say the yeah. wrong thing than just not say anything at all. I like it. And I, man, I, that, uh, that idea of a person in a wheelchair specifically, I mean, sure, some people might be sensitive and not want to talk about that situation, but like you said, people don't really talk about certain things yeah maybe it's just not polite or just it's like culturally insensitive or something but i uh i you know i would wonder how someone would feel with a physical disability like moving through space and i was just talking to someone about this the other day in a different context we were talking about celebrities and how like if johnny depp walked down the street right now we might be you know play cool and say and you know like hey not like asked to take a picture or anything yeah but he would still like feel that we noticed him and like knew who he was yeah and in the same sort of way like you know, just walking down the street, we are constantly forming these, like, quick, quick impressions of people. And if we don't put words to that at all, the the discomfort just grows or, you know, the uh, the space between us continues to grow. Whereas, like, if you say something, maybe it's the wrong thing. At least you're bringing it into attention and it, like, opens up the door for dialogue and yeah, for, for an opportunity to reach some understanding. Um, well, I think one of the things you've, you're, you're raising is... Part of why saying something is better than not saying anything is because if you notice something like an obvious visual thing about somebody Mm. and it is a physical impairment or even if it is a race and that's the first place your mind goes. So that's the thing you want to talk about. Mm. And then the next thing you do is decide uh, that's not okay. Uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't be thinking that. And then you don't say anything at all. Then you kind of make that person disappear entirely. Hmm. And that's, like, way worse. Because, like, then it's that idea of, like, I don't see color. Hmm. You know, like, 
that is then actually true. Yeah. You don't see people who are different than you anymore. And that is a huge problem. Rather than, even if you you don't have to call out the difference, but it's okay if the difference triggered your thoughts and then move past the thoughts into like just saying hello to that. Like, yeah. Because we just won't yeah. even get to the hello because we're so uncomfortable with whatever it is that we're not even sure is happening. When you see somebody, I mean, it's really true with somebody with like a, a visible physical disability. People get all, and I, when I say people, I really mean like me. Like I've looked at this, my reaction of myself a lot, where I'm like, I noticed that thing. Oh man, I don't want to just notice that thing. That's not cool. I'm not happy with that part of myself. Hmm. And then the next choice is either to not say anything to the person, and then they kind of stop being a person, or to just say, hey, how are you? Like to not, you know, even though you're worried, oh, now I'm going to make it weird. They're going to think I'm saying hi. Like, you know how you get in your head? Like, yeah. I yeah. think that's what happens. And like... I think you're right. Like I don't know, I don't know the experience of being that big of a celebrity, but I'm sure you can feel the energy of someone noticing you mm. and then deciding not to do something, and then you have to figure out for yourself what happened, and you tell yourself all kinds of weird stories. Yeah. So if you, I'm sure, like I can't speak for anyone with a physical physical disability, but even the people I've talked to, like my friend Timmy, who's on an episode of Not About You. He totally is aware if someone sees him and he decides why they saw him and decided not to say anything and it's because of his crutches. Like, mm. And most of the time he's probably right. So mm. like, you've already done the damage. You might as well connect with that person and then hopefully just have a human experience. Yeah. Like I think that, you know, I don't know if the moral there is like then everyone should say, hey Johnny to Johnny Depp or what they should do. <laughs> like I don't know what, I don't know what you do with that for him. But I like... Is it okay that we've now made it to like being Johnny Depp as a disability? <laughs> is that what we're talking about? No, I, I I'm not sure. It's dangerous kind of like territory. There. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, what you said about telling stories, uh, I mean, everyone's always telling stories. Even me, like when I'm out and about and, you know, and I see someone notice me, I create this story in my head of like what they're thinking or the impression that they have. And most of the time it's like, not true well i guess i don't know that because i can't read minds but i we uh i think we often jump to unjust conclusions is all i'm saying like people can assume the worst a lot of the time yeah like about themselves or others and yeah just making that connection can remedy that yeah i mean that is really the work right like how do you stay open just experiencing a person in that moment for however they are Hmm. like rather than all your experiences you bring to whoever they, whatever they look like, the clothes they're wearing, what their hair is, and all the experiences they bring, like, to actually connect neutral isn't possible, but I think it'd be really cool if we, like, tried to get to a place where yeah. we're like, hey, I, I'm going to try and connect with you. I, I'm going to try not to bring all these assumptions. They're here. <laughs> I can't shake them all, but let me try and listen to you. Yeah. Like, that's hard work, and that's, like, daily work. And you said something about bringing humor to your experiences. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, because that's just part of the it's just that's how my brain works. Yeah. So, like, more often than not, if I see something funny, I'll say something funny. And it's usually real things. Like, I... Um, I... <laughs> I don't know how to describe what just happened, but... <laughs> lit on a mason jar just yeah. popped without without no any reason. prompting <laughs> no it's amazing uh, i have a time delay 
the whole prop <laughs> thing I set up. I know there's going to be a bunch of stuff going off throughout. Uh, hey, you are a comedian. Just to you mess made with me you. Laugh. Yeah. You made me laugh. <laughs> My comedy mason jar. <laughs> um, um, no, I'll be the person who like will blurt out the obvious thing in a funny way at like a, a meal like if someone said it i mean i this is a thing like i have a reputation for with my family that at times is funny and at times i'm sure is incredibly frustrating if someone says something that is like laced with hypocrisy which we all do all the time i will say i will just point out the hypocrisy of it but i'll make a joke of it and what that does is it makes it less feel like a, an attack and instead it goes, we all saw this thing, man. Let's mm. acknowledge what happened. <laughs> and that's the same thing in a really intense conversation. Often it'll be about myself. You know, I'll say the, I'll make the joke about like, what weird stereotype idea am I holding right now? I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge that, but in a funny way yeah. to both take ownership of it, but also not to make it turn the thing to be just totally talking about me and my own internal conversation that i'm having when i'm talking to somebody uh but also like i think if i can make some jokes it gives people permission to have a sense of humor about something while knowing that doesn't mean we're not taking it seriously because i take comedy absurdly seriously like i i mean if you know comedy writers there's nobody more serious about comedy like we will have hours-long conversations about what the funniest word is in a sentence and we're not joking about it we're fighting about it we're like no it's apple and you're like no it's pear and you're like and we're not it's we will not it takes a while to acknowledge that that's an absurd conversation and then we'll go and do it in a show and try it one way and then still have a debate after the show of like see i told you it didn't wow. you're like it would have popped better the wow. other like so like part of it is that i think comma i'm really serious about comedy but I also don't want to take myself too seriously. Mm. So I think making the jokes is, makes it clear I'm not taking myself seriously even while I'm taking this subject really seriously. Yeah. Did that make sense? Or yeah, am I yeah. Totally spinning out of control. And uh, and branching off of that, uh, I've I've never had the privilege of asking this question before because you are the first comedian on the show. But uh, for because Chance by Chance is a resource for young creators. Yeah. Um, for any young comedians out there whether that's in a theatrical setting or stand-up or anything yeah, like or that just like, on the page too like, yeah i want more people to think of themselves as comedians. like if you write comedy that's a comedian can mean a ton of things hmm. so anyways yeah that's a that's a good point um but what would you say about developing material and determining what is funny to you or how you can like lace in the things that you you want to talk about like yeah those often uncomfortable things that you yeah, need to yeah, shed yeah. some light on. That's a great question. I mean, the key really is what is funny to you. Because mm -hmm. I mean, uh, a risk is always... So I just, um, I just spent a week uh, working. I did a week-long residency as a teaching artist with eighth graders this past week, teaching sketch comedy writing. And that was through Compass? Yeah, through cool. Compass. Um, and eighth graders are tough. <laughs> Especially it's May, and it's nice outside. <laughs> and they were like... Uh, leave me alone. And it was like these, so there was challenging kids. But we got to talk about a thing that is really important, which is you need to be trying to make yourself laugh. That's your first audience. If you're trying to think, if you're writing from your own life or you're just writing from, you know, more, <coughs> more like observational humor, it should be funny to you. And a lot of people make the mistake of going, okay, what's going to make people laugh? Mm -hmm. Or, okay, this is funny to me, but will it be funny to anyone else? And that's like death, because if it doesn't, if it's not funny to you, you'll never make it be funny. Mm -hmm. Like, it just can't, it's too cynical of an approach to comedy. So that's one thing. But beyond that, like, it's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, the thing with any kind of writer is we have to make our clay first. You know, like, if you make pottery, 
you go buy the clay. But if you're a writer, you don't have all the words yet. So you have to fill your pages up with words, which is your clay. And then you have to cut them up and shape them and mold them. And like the editing is really the writing. And that's true with comedy too. Like, yeah, that's a good analogy. You have to write a bunch of garbage first and then like try to turn the garbage into comedy. Hmm. And so if you can get rid of that editor piece that's like, this isn't good enough, this isn't right, then you can just, you just have to write and write and write. And if you're doing stand up especially, like you have to just go tell crappy jokes for years before you start getting funny like with anything like even for you like with interviewing people for a podcast you have to do that badly before you can do it well oh there's, yeah there's no other way to do it well like you're no one i mean i don't know what are the numbers of someone who's like naturally gifted at anything and even they had to do not that great you know like a, a piano prodigy still probably wasn't great when they were initially starting. The yeah, and then they the just learned faster. Yeah, yeah. And I think keep that in mind too when you're, you're trying to write comedy, which doesn't really help like how do I generate ideas, but it's also like specific to the person. Like, hmm. you know, you have to figure out how you generate ideas. Some people sit down rigidly and write every day. Some people carry a notebook or notes on their phone and whenever they think of a funny idea, they plug it in. But there's not like any right way to do that. Yeah. It's more that you just have to... It's, I think it's a volume and a math game. Like You just have to do it over and over again and get a lot of crap out hmm. before any good stuff comes out. That's a concept that's come up a few times in the, in the last several interviews. But like, if you write 20 songs, the odds of having one good song is a lot better than like writing one song yeah, and hoping that it's Yeah, for sure. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, same with comedy, it sounds like. If uh, you know doing something is more important than not doing anything and like waiting for the right thing right it's just as long as you are doing something which doesn't seem like profound like that's obvious yes yeah. but, but it can be but true. it can be hard to like apply yourself to yeah. i mean for me i know uh I, i'm kind of similar i i like jumping between tasks i can have a hard time focusing on one thing for like an extended period of time in a day um yeah so it can be hard to like generate a, a long list of ideas but I I really have to force myself sometimes, or yeah. or with writing, like to just pound it out when I don't want to. It that's, can be tough. That's where you become. That's the work of art, hmm. like the when you don't want to part. Hmm. Because I, you know, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know how spiritual I am, or like how much the muse. Like I think I don't know what that is, but I do think there's a thing where you're telling your brain like. Keep showing up. I'm going to keep wanting you to show up. Yeah. And you do it by like working even when you don't feel like it, so that you're somehow your brain's like. Oh, I, I gotta keep my, I gotta keep the production line going because they keep shipping the boxes. You know, like I think there's something true to that. I don't know how much that's based in science or how much that's nonsensical, but like I think that is the thing. Like you gotta keep making it, even if it's not good, to tell yeah. your brain to keep keep on producing. Like I'm not mad at your production. I don't love it, but just keep making it. Yeah. Switching gears slightly, uh, I want to ask you about the residency that you had at the Walker. Oh, yeah. The, just because that sounds awesome. What yeah, can you tell cool. me about it? That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, right? it was a really cool opportunity. Uh, so the Walker Art Center has a um, uh, like a family and children's programming department. Mm -hmm. um, and I did like one or two things there uh, through my comedy work um, because I, well, I have this all-ages theater company. Um, so I have a lot of experience working with young people. Um, and I do have a mixture of kind of creative work. So I uh, improv stuff. I do a lot of physical comedy, and that works really well with really young people. Um, so I've been able to put some programming together. And I met with some folks in the family programming department um, just talking through ideas. And then um, they finally, they, they were like, 
you know, what would you think about being like an artist in residence? Uh, and I was like, uh, that would be amazing. What do you mean? What would I think about doing that? That's like, again, like, you know, I, there's a thing where comedy is not necessarily put into the category of art when people are talking about art. Certainly mm. fine art, certainly at a museum, mm. you don't go, oh, where's your comedy section? Like, that's not super common. And I really do think comedy is uh, as artistic as any other kind of creative practice. And I do think of it, I think of that as my artwork. And I think that's, when I watch a stand-up comedy, they are doing their art. Like, mm. that is, I, I am, um, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I, I will, I won't fight someone, but I, like, that, that means a lot to me, that idea. Um, so there's a validity even in them saying that. Like, do you want to come to a residency here? And I was like, yeah, of course. What does that mean? And they're like, uh, we don't know. We're going to go talk to people. Because uh, they they were just, like, throwing it out and hadn't, like, run it up the, the ladder of, you know, museums have all kinds of mm-hmm. bureaucracy in them. Uh, and then they came back to me and they're like, all right, we want to do this, you know, this, like, uh, it was like a nine-month, nine, ten-month-long residency um, here are a few pieces we want you to sort of build to a final performance of some mm. kind that connects to the history of this place. And I was like, sure, even though I had no idea what that would mean. Um, and then uh, you can kind of do other, you can figure out what else you want to do within it, um, which is amazing. Like, that's a great opportunity. So I'd like full access to their archives. I could just wow. like look through stuff whenever I wanted. I could pitch ideas for, they had like monthly family programming things and mm. weekly family programming things. Uh, so I was writing regular blog posts that were like finding comedy within some of the art stuff they had. Uh, I did a bunch of cool activities. One of my favorite ones was I did a, um, a physical comedy activity with like four and five year olds where we would, uh, from with felt type paper, make banana peels (laughs) then put them on the ground in the museum. And then they would learn how to slip and fall on a banana peel onto their back. That's awesome. Wow. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, I had brought in, like I have mats for when we're rehearsing physical comedy things and brought those in and parents all like brought their kids and the kids all like loved making the craft. And then they would fall down and taught them to clap for each other. There was like a great moment where I learned this is not a thing. This is a thing you have to be taught, especially if you're tiny that like, if you fall down and just lay there, it's not funny. That's mm. tragic. It seems like you're probably hurt. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are all like falling and then just laying on their backs. And I was like, oh, you got to get back up or your parents are scared. So they fall and get back up and sort of like bow and everyone would clap and laugh. And like, uh, like two weeks later, uh, one of the folks working at the museum was like, uh, oh, that was really great. And now we are hearing from parents that kids are just like falling all over their houses and like great. freaking out their parents. And I was like, I'm doing the work. You know, it was like magical. I got to do activities where kids were making up jokes about the museum and about the exhibits. And I got to film a bunch of that. Um, I developed some Mad Lib kind of fill in the blank type mm. things so they could like kids could give a guided tour. Um, one of my favorite parts of that was actually like we created a junior tour guide thing where the kids got little badges that certified them as like junior tour guides and they would give a tour and like talk about a piece of art. But I told them to find like funny things to say about the art. So were these separate groups of kids? Yeah, it was like I whenever yeah, there's like, like a they have or a monthly basis or Yeah, they like have a regular sort of especially Saturdays where there's like mm. free um free admission to the museum and a lot of families come so i could throw in a program and they would like find a way to implement it and get to work with volunteers on how to facilitate it and then i did a final performance with a comedy performer a friend of mine named andy Kraft. i was like will you come help me with this thing um and it was about the history of the walker 
And I, once I started building it, I was like, this is ridiculous that I say yes to this because there's nothing funny about the history of a building. I was like, here's the time period when this person was the museum director and here's the exhibit. Like, I was like, what is funny about this? Because I'm struggling. And we made a really funny show that like we were time travelers and like we would land in different time periods and bring kids on stage with us and they'd act out. We'd show a picture of an exhibit and it would be, a, I'd pick a bunch of weird pictures of the exhibits and the kids would have to act out the things. And they all like laughed a bunch, but also like the kids really did learn. And I learned a ton mm. of stuff about the Walker doing mm. my research. So I was like, I never, it was an amazing experience. Like wow. it was great. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the Walker? <laughs> Just like whatever stands out. Yeah. So well, much. I mean, they, they have, uh, they're really connected to, um, uh, funding from the WPA. So there was like war funding for more art and communities is heavily connected to, early days at the walker and so there was a bunch of sort of essentially activism around arts education that came from the walker it was like a really important place for that Hmm. um also there's some really old quotes about the importance of art from former directors of the walker that like still really resonate today the Hmm. way that art funding is cut from schools all the time and Hmm. art is sort of seen as a like if we get to the basics then this and these quotes are all about like You know, there are certain things you need in life to live, but then art is the reason that you do those things. And, like, that's not nothing. Like, that's deeply true. And so it was weird going back through these old writings from people who started that place decades ago and going, like, oh, we're still trying to make those same arguments. Like, we haven't even moved past those arguments. So, like, I think that that stuff was really compelling to me, but also a little sad where I was like, Oh, we haven't made any progress about like how we think of the importance of yeah. art, you yeah. know? Um, so that was really fun to look at and just looking at, you know, the way buildings change shape, uh, the way they've changed programming for young people over time. Like it has changed a ton and even like looking at old pictures and kids used to dress like really formally <laughs> kids and then now it's like t-shirts and shorts and um yeah it was it was neat to look through the archives and sort of get that kind of access and not just access but also like that was my job. Like, hmm. I don't think I would have just sat down and done that. But I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I would never have been like, what's funny about things that happened in the Walker in 1960? Like, hmm. my brain wouldn't have gone there. But someone was like, hey, will you come do this thing? Here's what we want you to do. I'm like, okay, I guess I got to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that part was really wonderful. And uh, using that as a transition from yeah. uh, history in the Twin Cities to current culture, uh, gearing this towards the young listeners just given your experience in your life here what are some maybe unused avenues of finding success that oh like for building a career or like doing work i mean because you've been established for quite a while now so i'm sure you've seen some kind of back roads or something that uh that not not a lot of people take uh any anything you can recommend? well i mean it's so different even now from like 15 years ago just yeah. because of the there's the barriers are so different to being able to make stuff yeah so there's more freedom to make things through uh obviously like digital technology mm-hmm. than there ever was and i think that stuff's all obvious but also like i don't think to be taken for granted hmm. like it's harder to develop an audience now because there's more you're competing with hmm. But it's much easier to be specific and do exactly the thing you want to do. I think the still underused avenue is like true partnerships and true collaborations, Mm. even if they're not what seems to be obvious. So it's not just who's in your art, same medium or who's doing the same kind of work as you, but actually like 
what's totally different and outside the box, which means not even other artists. So one thing I feel like I wish I had been aware of years ago is that you can approach businesses or other kinds of organizations with whatever you're doing that isn't those things and throw a weird idea at them and sometimes something will happen from it. Like if you just take those risks. Worst case scenario, they just say no, say no yeah. thank you. Yeah. Which can be, I mean, that I used to find the idea of just being told no terrifying yeah. too. But yeah. like, it's kind of the same thing of like, if you're making something, you have to just keep making it over and over again until it gets good. If you want to find a way to um, get resources, get funding for your work or other people to help you with your work, you have to reach out way more times than what you actually need. Mm. Like the same thing, like if you write one song, the chances of being hit are very small mm. as opposed to 20. If you ask one person to partner with you on a project, the chances of them saying yes or it going well yeah. compared to if you ask 20 people, just the metrics are better if you ask a bunch of people. Um, so one of those things I think is like think of who you could work with that you wouldn't initially think about working with and i think that's true not just creatively but i think it's true in like you should be doing cross-sector collaborations in general because there is less giant pots of money to just like support oh yeah like if you're a musician a record deal is like meaningless now right like Mm. and i think that's true for everyone like Mm. all of the (laughs) things we work in there's not 60 year career in this field kind of stuff like it's all mm. we all have like three or four table legs instead of just like one stool you know like i don't know <laughs> if that's too much of a metaphor um but i think to do that you need to find other people to build with all the time huh. and i mean it's the same thing as like community organizing like you're building collective power so like find multiple different groups of people to work on various things with and do it without a exactly like what you're going to get out of it kind of way like Find ways to celebrate other people's successes and support other people's successes because it will still help you in the long run. Like that, I think, is another key thing because, I mean, jealousy is super real, especially when you're young and you think you have good ideas and you've made cool stuff already and you're like, why isn't anything happening for me? That person's got a thing that's awesome. Like, that can destroy you. Hmm. But if you can support that, if you can find a way to amplify somebody else's work, like, I really, truly feel like good comes from that and if you help something better happen in your community it ultimately supports you too so yeah. like that n- not that you have to like put all your time and energy into supporting somebody else's thing but like i think those kinds of ways of partnering and supporting other people actually is a better way to build your own sort of base of whatever it is you're making or yeah something. yeah you have to sow your seeds intelligently yeah because yeah, yeah. it all comes back around and, and you like never know how another yeah i never pursued a residency at the walker hmm. but i and i didn't make it i haven't made a ton of money off making podcasts i've made some but like every job or opportunity i've gotten in the last six years i can tie back to my podcast <laughs> yeah work. yeah and that wasn't why i started making it but I, I built so many relationships out of doing that kind of thing. yeah like 200 plus guests yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and so a, that's a lot of conversations it is and they're genuine and like i'm sincerely interested in those people's work and i follow up with some of them and some of them i've built relationships with mm. and i mean but i like the wording often is like do you come from a place of scarcity or abundance mm. and for me it's all abundance like i'm not competing with anybody for something i'm helping to grow for everyone so even if someone's doing exactly the same thing as i am if they succeed if they have more people who are into the thing they're doing if there's more resources going to them that means ultimately there's more in general 
I mean, mm. even in the podcast space, like mm. I could be super competitive and be like, I want more listeners. But the more people who listen to podcasts, the better chances are that some of those people will listen to my podcast too. So yeah. why wouldn't I want other people to, to succeed? And I think if you can get yourself, even if you have to trick yourself to get there initially, like if you can get yourself to that place, <laughs> it'll really help whatever your work is. Like that is a successful entrepreneur is someone who's like, how do other people's successes help me be successful? Like think of that in not a gross way, but in a really like we're all a community kind of way. And I think that leads to better results. Or at least you're just not miserable, even if you don't get good <laughs> results. <laughs> Which is good too. Yeah. Something to aim for. You're not full of rage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow, I uh, I'm going to be processing that for the next couple of weeks. Um, but it, uh, just in order of uh, wrapping up here, yeah, throw some rapid fire questions at you. Sweet, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about parenting. Yeah, so top two or three tips for new parents. <laughs> Should list them off. Uh, don't take any advice about parenting. <laughs> That's the first one. But then I'll still say a couple others if you want to take advice about parenting. Um, Keep in mind, every single person is doing what they think is the right thing for their kids all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Especially once you become a parent, you kind of realize that. But, like, just know that. So, if you're doing something and you're questioning if it's the way you should be parenting your kids, are you doing it because you think it's best for them because you love them? Yeah, cool. You still should evaluate it, but that's really important. Mm -hmm. Also, in general, as a parent, if you don't have a lot of experience with kids, like, they're people. So, like, just, like, don't condescend to your kids, huh. like, which is hard. And if you're not a parent, don't condescend to children. Like, kids are not idiots. Yeah. They, like, they have inner minds. They have all, a whole rich life inside of them yeah. at, from pretty early on. So, like, be aware that that's a whole person. Um, it's really important. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give your, like, 18, 20-year-old self around that time, wherever you were? Uh, just... Um, that I would really love to talk to that dude. Uh, like, just uh, figure out what you really care about and, like, just focus on that. And mm. don't worry about... He wouldn't, he wouldn't take this advice. But don't worry about, like, fitting in or being cool or what people think about what you're doing. Mm. Like, you, you have to just dig into the stuff that you care about and chase after it. And it doesn't matter. Like, even as small as, like, just like the bands you like. Like, don't try to not like a band because they're popular like that like i think that sort of stuff informs everything else like i was definitely like secretly into stuff that i'm like come on man who huh. cares just have your own personality yeah and i think that was sort of you know but also like i'm who i am now because of who i am then so i don't know how much i'd want to change but i would love it if that guy would have been like you know what you care about so just chase after that stuff like, don't get distracted i hear you yeah what advice do you think your future self would give to you now uh you... stop giving advice he's not like a pretentious <laughs> asshole he that to me now. uh i don't know i'll like don't worry about the future so much maybe like i definitely have huh. a like what's going to happen next hmm. like i think that all the time and i think it i'm sure my future self would be like you don't know and like it's going to be fine also it's going to not be fine <laughs> so but that's like, life nothing you can do about it yeah. yeah i would guess that or just like oh my god you got to try this like maybe there's something that new invention i have no idea what that yeah guy would say a new uh, some kind of espresso machine or something yeah it's probably like a new that. espresso machine yeah. yeah in your brain yeah like... oh man instant coffee <laughs> it's, yeah literal instant that's really coffee. good yeah yeah cool uh who else in the community are you impressed by 
oh. in your own field or anywhere? There's so many people. Uh, I mean, in the Twin Cities, there's a, she's a graphic designer and an organizer. There's a woman named Ashley Fairbanks who everyone should be aware of and support. Uh, she's great. She does a ton of her own art and visual art. She works for an organization called Voices for Racial Justice. Um, but she's just like an amazing, impressive young person that like people should be following and supporting and get, getting behind. Like she's phenomenal. Cool. Yeah. And where can people find your work? Uh, I'm all over. Uh, if you look at my website, it's thatlevi.com. I mean, I have a bunch of websites, but thatlevi.com and I'm at thatlevi on Twitter. That's probably the best way to get at me. All right. Or just, I, I will push people towards the Not About You podcast. Like, that's one of my biggest sort of passion things right now. Uh, iTunes. Right? Yeah, that's on yeah. iTunes. Uh, you can go to uh, napod.com okay. also. Uh, N-A-Y-P-O-D.com. Uh, it'll take you there as well. Yeah. Well, Levi, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thanks for talking to me, Chance. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is a wrap on episode 32. You can find Levi and everything he's doing at leviwinehagen.com. He's also got a great blog. Winehagen, of course, is W-E-I-N-H-A-G-E-N. Also, give him a shout on Twitter, at ThatLevi. He, too, has a Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash ThatLevi. If you dig into his work or you are familiar with it already, you can support him via Patreon. It's really a great platform, and there's a Patreon account for Chance by Chance as well. Patreon.com forward slash Chance by Chance. Big thank you to those of you who have been supporting the podcast via Patreon already. If you're not, please consider doing so as it makes worlds of difference. Another big way to support the show is by going to chancebychance.com and signing up for the newsletter or just visiting the listen page on Chance by Chance. You can also go to chancebychance.com forward slash podcast and checking out previous episodes. Perhaps the one with Trista Harris. She's the president of the Minnesota Council on Foundations, which we spoke about in this episode. I've been reflecting a great deal on what... Levi said about underused avenues. He said, The still underused avenues are true partnerships. So find ways to connect with people you might not necessarily connect with. Everything, everything positive that we do contributes to the community as a whole. Like he said, the more people that listen to podcasts, the better. Because it's not all about this podcast or Levi's podcast or any podcast in particular. If people listen to podcasts in general, they'll be getting great information, great entertainment, and might make their way around to our respective podcasts. And that's true of almost everything. So support your fellow artists, your fellow entrepreneurs, your fellow creators. Everything comes back around, and supporting the community as a whole is a fantastic endeavor all by itself. So, thank you for listening, and until next time, keep asking questions, keep facilitating difficult conversations, and take care of yourselves. Have a wonderful summer.